On this episode of Athletic Training Chat, we have Andrea Kowalski, who is a secondary school athletic trainer. Recently, within the last year, moved to working as a solo AT after always being part of a team. So we talk a lot about that and then leadership as a solo AT and some of the challenges that come with being on your own uh, and not having that person or persons right there next to you all the time to help bounce ideas off or back you up. Uh, So it's a great conversation for a lot of solo ATs out there, especially anyone early in their career. Uh, We talk about a lot of lessons learned early on things that would go back and do different. So a lot of good information when it comes to that. Uh, we really hope you enjoy that. As always, we are powered by Mueller Sports Medicine. Check them out for any of your athletic training needs. They're always coming out with something new and innovative. Coming soon, brand new, change the game ankle support. Low profile, but still a lot of support in there. So a great alternative to even the traditional ankle brace, but also traditional ankle taping while we're checking out. But without further ado, please enjoy this episode. Welcome to this episode of Athletic Training Chat. We are on with Andrea Kowalski. We've tried to get this scheduled for quite some time. Uh, we were just talking offline on how the secondary uh, school athletic trainer schedule is as crazy as anybody's is going to be and how it's slowing down. So thankfully, we were able to carve out some time around my clinic and her work. Uh, seeing Andrea on social media, uh, on a bunch of different things, but then really kind of more so recently uh, highlighting just a shout out to the leader cast by Dr. Coots and Dr. Conan and their leadership in AT um, and a lot of the things that she's been posting about that. So we reached out. Um, I obviously have an interest in leadership, uh, especially within the profession. And we're going to kind of talk about that, but specifically as being a solo AT, um, that's kind of an interesting yet hard thing with leadership is you don't necessarily always have to have a bunch of employees to be a leader. Uh, it, it is such a broad and wide ranging term and importance that that's kind of what we are going to talk about today and see where we go with that. But before we get into all of that, I just wanted to turn it over to Andrea to give a little background on where she's been and what she's doing now, and then we'll go to it. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks, Joel. Thank you for having me. Um, yeah, as, as Jill mentioned, I kind of recently got into uh, leadership thoughts, leadership ideas. Um, you know, it, the, the thing that sparked it most recently was uh, going back to the, the leader cast. I heard, I believe I heard Dr. Conan's um, NATA Hall of Fame speech in, in Philadelphia this summer. And I thought, man, that sounds really interesting. That, something about that kind of piqued my interest. So I, so I started digging when I find somebody or something that Sounds interesting. I like I like to look up, okay, what else have they said? What else have they done? So I started looking into the leader cast and um yeah, we're really enjoying that. Um but but going back to my background, my experience in the beginning, um I've been an athletic trainer for oh gosh, eleven, twelve years now. <laughs> um, got my bachelor's in athletic training, uh have a teaching license in physical education and health education. Uh, went back and got my master's in athletic training. 
Um, and, and I worked in the secondary setting for pretty much my entire career. Um, but it occurred to me that I've only been a solo athletic trainer for probably less than a year. Um, and and yeah, in in every other secondary school that I've worked in, I've always had at least one or two coworkers. Um, I've been a graduate assistant with, uh, other, other GAs in, in a high school setting. I have had. I've worked in large high schools where there's, you know, 4,000 kids, 1,000 athletes, and, and three of us. Um, but it's funny that the most profound or the most significant impact on my career and my, my thoughts so far has been the last seven or eight months when I've been a solo athletic trainer. Awesome. Well, we'll kind of tie all of that into some of these conversations then, but... Uh, just because you kind of mentioned it, you know, being out on your own as a solo IT now within the last, you know, seven or eight months, um, the impression I've gotten, again, I have never worked in this setting, uh, but what I've got uh, from other people uh, that have done that is it can really put you out on an island. I've been fortunate enough to work in large teams uh, with a bunch of different professionals and, you know, resources and connections. How have you managed that just being on that island in general and then we can kind of as it pertains to leadership as well sure yeah um to be honest i don't think i would have survived if i had taken this job right out of school um you know like a lot of other young professionals a lot of other recent grads will say i i had the the hard skills i know how to evaluate an injury i know how to uh to refer appropriately i know how to conduct a rehab program but I didn't know how to advocate. I didn't know how to be assertive. I didn't know how to to really communicate effectively. And I think that's one of the most important skills is effective communication um, when you're the only one there. <clears throat> so, you know, as, as a solo athletic trainer, I am the schools, I am the community's only impression of what an athletic trainer is. And for, for some people that may be the school's first athletic trainer, They've never had this person here before. They don't know what they do. They don't know their scope. Uh, it, it's a completely foreign um, thing for a, a school community. Um, they, you know, you are the only impression of what an athletic trainer is. So yeah, there's probably gonna be a lot of pressure for a solo AT, but there's also a lot of freedom, I think, to create, you know, to create that persona to make it whatever you want. We as athletic trainers know we've been through uh, a KD approved program. We know what the standards are. We know how we're supposed to behave. We know what our scope of practice is. We know our practice act. We know, you know, all of our competencies. We know those things. Nobody else really knows those things. So we're the ones that kind of have to create and, and communicate what our roles and our responsibilities are to other people that that may not necessarily know, you know, the principal, the athletic director, the the superintendent, the school board, they have no idea what you can do. Um, And you're not going to talk to them in in athletic training technical language, but you're going to need to explain and and demonstrate day in and day out. You've got to kind of live that that, um, persona of, I am an athletic trainer and this is what an athletic trainer is. So whatever you do, that's what they believe an athletic trainer to be. Absolutely. So many things I want to take out of what you just said. Going kind of something back you said at the first, because I think it's so important. And as a young athletic trainer myself, 
knowing how badly I've screwed up the communication part, the, you know, the assertive part, you know, kind of knowing, you know, when to stand your ground and also, you know, working with other people. In your experience, how did you best learn those, you know, skills working with other people? But then also it, is, it has to be a completely different dynamic, even as a solo, because you don't necessarily have that backup in quotes, if you will you know, that can come to your side or, you know, again, for me, having a team physician just down, you know, a call away um, was always just a nice backup to have in a lot of different ways. But if you could elaborate on that. Yeah, yeah. Um, like I said, I was very fortunate in the first few years to have to work with other coworkers so I could bounce things off of them, be like, hey, you know, I kind of, I think this is what's going on. Can you maybe take a look at this knee for me or um, does this email sound right or whatever? But yeah, in the first few years, I definitely um, had a bit of a rough go with with communicating and, and assertiveness. And I thought it was because well, I've graduated from uh, an athletic training program. I've passed the BOC. I must mm -hmm. know everything, right? Because I passed the BOC. <laughs> oh, no, you do not. This story is so familiar. <laughs> yep, yep. So, so just you have reached this basic level of, of confidence and certification does not mean that you're done learning, does not mean that you're going to be immediately effective in, in every aspect of your, your job. Um, you've got to still ask. You've got to still ask for help. You have to be willing to say, I don't know. You know, I had, I had kids that came up to me and they would be like, well, what, what's this? What's going on here? Why do I have this? Or what is this injury? Or what's, you know, what can I do about that? And I always thought I had to kind of have the answer because, well, I'm the athletic trainer. I'm the mm -hmm. one that's, that's going to be there to help them and to to help keep them healthy and, and fix whatever comes up. But sometimes you just got to be able to say, you know, I don't know, but I'm going to figure it out. You know, you don't just kind of give up and be like, well, I don't know. So sorry, I can't help you. It's no, I, I don't know the answer right now but I'm going to figure it out. I'm going to use my resources. I'm going to maybe look it up. I'm going to, you know, ask another professional. Um, even if I don't have another athletic trainer or, you know, my team physician, I, I might only see them on the sidelines on Friday nights. Um, I've got a network now of other athletic trainers that I can just pick up the phone and call. Um, I've got friends all over the United States, you know, um, people that I've seen in person, people that I've never seen before. And I can still shoot him a text and be like, hey, you know, I, I'm not quite sure about this. What do you what do you think about this situation? Um, and by developing relationships with other athletic trainers outside of my own little island, I have that kind of support, even if I'm I'm the only employee, I'm the only athletic trainer employed by the school district. I like that the importance of connections. Um not a question I had on there, but just kind of to get us into a little bit more of the leadership side of it all. What, how do you view leadership in your current setting as the, the solo AT? And as you mentioned, the importance of being the impression to the community and the people that you're in the patients you're taking care of, what, of what an athletic trainer is. Um, Sorry, that was a very big question. <laughs> That's okay. <laughs> so I, I think what, what you're getting at is 
how what's an athlete what is a solo at you know what is leadership supposed to look like for a solo at or what does it look like for a solo at yeah in your experience that would be great um well like i said some a lot of people might not know what an athletics trainer does some people do know um i had a lot of uh preconceived notions i had a lot of um other impressions to work through when I started my current role. Um, for a long time, the school that I worked at had a, a really fabulous athletic trainer. Um, I think they were the first full-time athletic trainer that school had had, and they, they, I think they worked, gosh, I don't know, he's going to be mad at me if I say the wrong thing, but eh, 15, 20 years or so. Sure. Um, so he moved on into another setting, but in that time, he was always there. He was so dependable. He was, you know, the, the picture of what uh, an, an overworked, underappreciated athletic trainer was. Sure. But he was willing to help out everyone. He was um, ready with an answer. He was ready with connections in the community if he didn't have the answer himself. Um, and so he moved on into another role, and they hired a, a, another athletic trainer after that who spent a few years there and, and was not quite a good fit. Um, so I came in uh, in February of this year and I had those two impressions before me to either live up to or to redefine or, you know, whatever they, I, I would hear people, you know, stop me in the hallway and be like, oh, well, you're the new athletic trainer. Our last athletic trainer didn't believe in this or our last athletic trainer did that. You know, are you going to do that? And I kind of had to correct them and be like, okay, this is how I work. Um, I even had student athletes that came up to me and were like, well, can you design me a strength program for this or for whatever? Can you, um, can you coach me in the weight room or something like that? And sure, some athletic trainers are very well versed in strength and conditioning, um, but that's not quite my focus. Sure. You know, I, a lot of my focus is. Um, <clears throat> maybe more emergency management, healthcare administration. Um, and that's just, that's just the things I've, I've uh, worked on and focused on in my career. So I kind of had to educate everyone on, um, so athletic trainers can do a bunch of different things. Some of them specialize in one thing. Some of them specialize in another thing. I am not the people that came before me, um, but I am still a good competent athletic trainer and I'm still going to take care of you the best I can. Uh, I'm still going to do my job to the best of my ability, even if it looks a little bit different than the people who came before me. Um, and yeah, some of that was a bit of education. Uh, I first got into the office and I looked around. It was a little messy. You know, there was just some stuff. There, there wasn't really an organizational system. There really wasn't really any kind of inventory. Um, <laughs> Me being a, a very type A personality, like, all right, we're going to make lists. We're going to inventory. That's the, thing. <laughs> That's the first week. Thank God it was February when I got there because winter season in, in high school in Illinois is just about wrapping up. Uh, spring season has not started yet. So I had like a good solid week of very low key um, athletic training, you know, injury and, and emergency sure. responsibilities. I had plenty of time to inventory. I had plenty of time to create forms. I had plenty of time to organize my desk and, and, and things like that. Um, so later on in the spring, I had 
amassed and created what I call the athletic training manual for the school. And it's, it's basically, it's the EAP. It's the policies and procedures. It's the um, environmental policies and procedures. It's the concussion policy. It's everybody's responsibilities on the concussion team. It's, <clears throat> you know, venue specific EAPs. It's, it's uh, how the athletic training room is run, uh, what the expectations are for coaches and communication all in one book. Um, and I sat down with my athletic director and principal when I had finished that and I, I presented it to him. I'm like, okay, this is what I want. These are the rules. This is, this is the kind of stuff that everybody needs to be aware of. Um, and I presented at every season's coaches meeting, um, being like, okay, fall coaches, um, if there's an emergency on your venue, this is where the AED is. This is, you know, so I go over those things with each coach. Mm -hmm. I had to have my principal and athletic director supporting me. I had to have the school nurse on board because they have to understand their roles in, in all of that. Um, and I, I had to have their, their confidence. They're going to back me up when somebody questions my, my policy. So I sat down and I presented all this, the whole manual to the athletic director and the principal. And they went, wow, you know, we had no idea that we even needed this stuff, that, that it had never um, been written down and, and put to paper before. Um, I'm sure a lot of people in that school community know some of those policies. They know, right. okay, if, if, you know, we need an ambulance on the football field, this is the gate that's going to be opened. Um, if there's lightning at baseball, this is where they're going to go, you know, so they know those things, but nobody thought that they needed to put it to paper and that certain stakeholders needed to be aware. Like the school counselor now knows our, she knows what return to learn is. Um, yep. She had kind of been doing that, you know, kind of already been doing it a little bit, but she knew, she knows now that there's a state law. She knows that, that she's responsible for communicating with teachers and such. Um, so yeah, they, they, saw that manual that I put together and, and they were like, wow, we, we had no idea we really needed this. This was actually a huge liability that we didn't have this um, until this time. And so they, they were really appreciative of the fact that I put it together. And to an athletic trainer, that's just, that's the first thing you do, right? Sure. <laughs> when you start at a new place, okay, where's the emergency equipment? Um, who's responsible for what? Who's got keys for what? Um, when, when are my treatment hours going to be, you know, those are the things that we set up from day one. Um, and it was just kind of funny to think that they had no idea that, that it was such an, uh, important, um, you know, important aspect of my job. Oh, it makes total sense. Uh, that took me a couple of years in a leadership role, uh, to really just like, we just need to make this a lot more here it is everybody knows where it's at make life a lot simpler because um, mm -hmm. again we all kind of knew exactly what we needed to do but was it readily available to make sure we were all on the same page <clears throat> and just before we get into the next question love your coffee mug so as i was saying that's oh yeah um <laughs> for people just listening so as spelled as the muscle uh, as people probably could get you talked about just demonstrating leadership with a lot of different people there. 
administrators for sure, stakeholders and, you know, coaches, things like that. Uh, we also had kind of on the questions, parents and patients, and you touched on it a little bit, but then you also have mentioned in just kind of your notes, some stories. Uh, so I just wanted to see kind of talking about the parents and patients specifically, oh, if you've got some, you know, kind of insight into that. Um, let's see. Well, I have, uh, <laughs> I had, um, a student once with, uh, an ACL tear, unfortunately, um, we, we identified it and, you know, you always kind of question, I, I personally, I don't know if you do, but I will, I will question, um, whether that anterior drawer test was actually lax or not, or, or whatever other tests are, am I actually feeling a torn ACL here or, or am I just, because the, I always approach it as the, I'm concerned about it because I feel like it was loose, but I would almost right. never say it. your ACL is definitely torn. When I say I was concerned about it, you're going to go see the doctor. We're going to get this <laughs> all worked up and you're going to, you know, we're going to know for sure. But yeah. I, I would always hedge my bets just in case. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. But for, for, for some reason, unfortunately, with this one test, I'm like, yep, that is gone. I hate to say it, you know, but, but that there, there is no ACL in this knee anymore. Um, and of course I didn't tell the patient that at the time, Right. Um, you know, I, I approached it with the same, let's give it an, you know, it's Friday night. Let's give it a, a 24, 48 hours. Come see me at the injury clinic on Saturday morning. Um, we'll, we'll check in and see how you're feeling. I, you know, in my head, I'm like, well, your knee is going to swell up. You're not going to be able to walk. So I'm going to fit you for some crutches tonight, just in case. Um, and it got to, the parents, um, they uh, the, the parents didn't want to follow up with a, a certain physician because they said oh, our insurance doesn't, or, or the, the physician doesn't take our insurance. And I called the physician. I'm like, you're pretty widely accepted, right? And they're like, yeah, yeah. Do you take this parent's insurance? And I gave them the insurance information. They're like, yeah, of course we do. And I'm like, okay, we'll go. Can you can you reach out to the parents so we can get things get the ball rolling, get things scheduled? Because I know this is torn. I know we're going to need, you know, this is an, uh, I mean, not that it, it's a valuable athlete that all athletes are valuable to a team, but, um, this is one that, that has a lot of potential. I'd like to see be successful in the years to come, you know, so I don't want to drop the ball on this. Um, and the parents called me back and they're like, yeah, no, we called the doctor. The doctor called us actually and, and said the insurance doesn't work. And I'm like, hmm. Okay, so so you just don't want to see that doctor, but you don't want to tell me that you don't want to see that doctor. <laughs> and, and I kind of had to, I, I kind of scratched my head a little bit. I'm like, why, what, what kind of game are we playing here? Um, you know, I want to, I want to get the patient in. Uh, I want to save face with the doctor. I want to continue that, that communication and, and continue that care. Um, but there's some kind of hiccup where, just things are not happening the way the way I think it happens, and I kind of and I had to really step back and and think to myself, okay, what is the number one priority here? It's not me looking good. It's not the doctor looking good. It's not the parents explaining why they're they're not telling the truth. It is the healthcare of the patient. Mm -hmm. It is the success of the student athlete. You know, so however this happens, however they receive healthcare, however they navigate through this condition that's how it's going to be, you know? So 
so I kind of switched from um, my pride being hurt a little bit and, and them not not trusting me to like, okay, you know, I, I'm going to let that go and I'm going to advocate for the patient no matter what. You know, that's that's going to be my focus. I don't care what what games the parents want to play. I'm going to take care of the patient. I'm going to explain things to the patient. I'm going to check in with the patient. Um, I'm going to communicate as much as I can between the patient, the parents, the coach, um, and everybody in that, that group um, because what really matters at the end of the day is that the patient receives the appropriate health care. Um, and yeah, I to, to go back to communicating effectively with parents, it's you kind of have to you kind of have to throw your pride out the window. You kind of have to stop caring at a point, you know, about how everybody perceives me. Um, I do. I mean, everybody does. Everybody wants to be well liked. Everybody wants to be the friendly person that that everyone knows is is kind and helpful and and uh, you can go to with anything. Um, but sometimes you got to deliver bad news. Sometimes you have to be the person that disagrees. Um, and it really doesn't matter because as long as you're doing it from a point of, I am here to take care of the patient. I'm here to advocate for the patient's best interests. Um, whatever you're saying, you know, the, the content of what you're saying doesn't matter as long as it's coming from the right place. And yeah, you're going to uh, maybe make some people upset. You're going to disagree with some people. Um, but if you can back up what you're saying with evidence, with, um, you know, some kind of medical logic, then they take it or they don't, but you have done your job. You have advocated for the patient. You've, you've done your job as a healthcare professional. Yeah, it's such an important point. And so there's so much nuance in it of like trying to play the game, but, you know, working with minors it throws a whole other you know wrench into it and insurance issues and everything like that but being able to you know as long as you're getting the ultimate outcome that you're going for sometimes the it's not as important the route that you get there as long as it's ultimately falling within the broader and kind of being able to figure out like you said when to push when to be able to step back and just kind of let it go through its natural course I can imagine that is one of the bigger struggles in the, your setting of just there isn't as much control because there's so many of those factors that contribute. Yeah. But I think that's one thing that I like about the high school setting is that nobody's career, nobody's contract is riding on this game. You know, True. <laughs> I, I don't think, uh, you know, I have a little bit of experience in, in the D3 college setting. Um, mm -hmm. I don't have any experience in professional sports, of course, but I, I don't think I'd be necessarily as successful there because the decisions I would make in, say, professional sports, their career may, might be over or they, they might not be able to fulfill right. their contract and, and provide for their family or whatever because of my decisions. Um, for high school kids, they're high school kids. They're, they're not even 18 years old yet. Um, and I've actually had a lot of conversations with kids uh, this, this season so far, um, unfortunately we've had some hand injuries come up and I, I've told kids and, and parents usually get on board as soon as I explain it. Okay. You need to rest from 
practice today. You need to not play in this game tonight because, yes, you have a hand injury. Um, and it's it's not really bad right now, but you could make it worse. And, yeah, okay, I'm thinking, I know I understand you're very disappointed that you can't participate tonight, but I'm thinking about five years down the road when maybe you want to go to school, you want to go to trade school, you want to be able to drive a car, you want to be able to, you know, bring in groceries from the house. You need your hands to do that, or you need your shoulder to carry things. Or mm -hmm. so I'm not. I, yes, I am thinking about, and I understand that you're going to be disappointed that you can't play. And I'm not, you know, I'm not letting you play tonight. But I am thinking big picture. You're a kid right For now. Sure. You need those things. You need to be strong and and healthy and pain free for the rest of your life so you can do those important things you know the rest of your life so i give them a little dose of big picture and sometimes they, they kind of understand working on the d3 setting i use that a lot with concussion just you know that hey look you're most likely not going to go make your living you know playing your sport and, you know there's a few and far between but you know mm -hmm. you're here at a good institution aren't getting good grades like we need to worry about your brain like that is something that we could potentially really have issues with and that usually seemed at least for a set period of time to kind of calm the patient back okay i get it yeah as much as i want to play da, da, da. so i've yeah. used very similar tactics in, the, in my <laughs> experience i always tell kids with concussions you know we can replace your acl we can replace your shoulder we yes. cannot replace your brain absolutely yeah, Sounds when they like, say, why, why do you have to be so, why do you have to hold the back so Why do we have to be so conservative here? Can't we just go? I'm like, nope, I don't right. have to use the brains for you. Yeah, that's a very familiar conversation. Uh, where do you pick up a lot of your ideas on leadership? And then kind of secondarily to that, how do you apply what you're learning, you know, in real time or in a part of a bigger picture? Yeah, um, well, I, obviously from our connection, I uh, found each other on Twitter. Yeah. Um, <laughs> it's where I pick up a lot of stuff. Um, I, I look at leaders in other fields. I have a pile of books now. I went and picked up some books yesterday for myself. Pile of books on my, my desk here. Atomic Habits, um, Think Again, and these have all been recommend recommendations. Uh, contextual intelligence nice and uh the culture map which is kind of cool oh i've heard of that one i have not read that one either i think i'm sure it's on my list like atomic habits is <laughs> i think it's it's about um global business and global leadership um okay. another presentation that I, I haven't cracked any of them yet because you know hashtag solo at life um but <laughs> no i i um I just listen. I just look and listen and and uh, let other people make the mistakes, let other people go out and venture, and, and then I take what they've learned, um, you know, so so books, podcasts, um, listening to speakers. I go to uh, as many state, district, and national meetings as I can. Um, you know, I pay attention to what other people are following and, and what they're saying, and then I go investigate and do my own work. Um, you know, if it's like I said, I heard Dr. Conan speak and it, it, it sounded interesting to me. So I dig in a little more. Um, I hear somebody else speak and, and they, they say something that, oh, hey, they reference this study. So I go find this study and I read it. Um, and 
I think to get to uh, to the second half of your question was just how do you take it? ideas of and apply it? You know, do you if you hear something, do you try and use it right away, or do you try and put it into kind of a bigger philosophy or picture of your leadership? Yeah, some things I do I do try out right away. Um, sometimes I just kind of hold on to them for for later. You know think about how they're going to fit into the big picture and then uh, maybe apply them later. Um, I'll go back and ask, ask, you know, ask the author, ask the person who, who reviewed that book or whatever. Hey, what did you think? What did you do with this information? Like, oh, yeah, yeah, you know, I just, this is how I changed my practice because of it. And I'm like, okay, I can try that too. Um, so yeah, it's, it's just kind of amassing all those things. There's not going to be one book. There's not going to be one study, you know, <laughs> every, Every leadership book says, oh, this is the comprehensive guide to leadership. It's not just one thing. So I'm not going to, um, I'm not going to pick up, say, Atomic Habits and say, okay, this is it. This is, this is the end all be all of leadership. And this is what I have to live by. Yeah. No, it's going to be, I'm going to take a little bit from here. I'm going to take a little bit from there. Or maybe I agree with this. Maybe I disagree with something else here. So I don't necessarily have to follow this to the letter, but. I'm going to combine these two theories and and put them into play here because that's what fits with my values. That's what fits with um, maybe the demands of my setting right now. So it's awesome. kind of an amalgamation of everything. For sure, no, absolutely. Um, I've got more leadership quotes and things written down in places that I don't even remember where I have them that you just stumble upon them every once in a while and you're just like, oh, but there it was. <laughs> Uh, you, you mentioned uh, attending a lot of, you know, state or state district and national ones. You've also done a lot of work uh, volunteering in state associations and district and national. A, you know, just kind of an overview of why you've wanted to get so involved, because I think that can kind of be a hot topic within the profession of, you know, volunteering. Dr. Coots, if you've caught that one, you know, volunteering and position isn't necessarily leadership position like those don't necessarily go hand in hand they can but it's not you know one is the other um so why you do it and why you think it's important um and then also just kind of on our leadership topic you see you've got a couple of good notes down there just what, what you've seen within those committees and those volunteer positions yeah, yeah, absolutely. The one thing, oh man, I was listening to that podcast recently, and I felt uh, kind of attacked for that, <laughs> that leadership <laughs> management and management does not equal leadership. And it occurred to me that, yeah, I've been serving in a lot of volunteer roles. I am a pretty good manager. I might not be the best leader. And, and you know, that's okay, because I'm still kind of on that journey. I'm still sure. learning and developing. Um, so I have been, I guess, a manager. Of, of certain things for several years. Um, my first role, well, well, going back to why I do it, um, I was uh, essentially introduced to the profession by a bunch of veteran athletic trainers, a bunch of like the one of the founding members of our state association was the first athletic trainer I ever met. And that's what I believed athletic trainers to be was, was mm -hmm. how he conducted himself and how he behaved and, and the things that he did. So expectations there are you you know you you study you earn your voc you pass the, the boards you get your state license you practice as an athletic trainer you get that job and then you also find a role a professional volunteer role that's that's 
it is what it is. You work and you serve. And that's what an athletic trainer is, is they have those two roles. So um, that was that was kind of the expectation from the very beginning is that if you want anything to happen, if you want to preserve a profession, if you want to move it forward, you work your job and you serve. You find some volunteer role to to um, devote some time and attention to. Um, and I see that as well with uh, some people that, that may necessarily complain about, well, man, I wish this was different, or why do we have to deal with this? This sucks, or, um, you know, this is terrible. I hate this part about our, our job. I hate this part about athletic training. And I want to tell them, okay, have you volunteered? Have you done anything about it? Have you, have you stepped up to serve? You know, you can complain all you want, but have you actually stepped up to make a change? Um, and some of them can say they've done that and some of them can't say they've done that. So, so you can complain um, when you have made some kind of honest effort to, to bring about a change. And it may be volunteering in a professional role. It may not be volunteering in a, in a professional association. Um, but, you know, yeah, that you, you got it. I don't know. They just kind of come together that um, working and serving. Um, trying to think what was the rest of the question. Uh, just one comment on what you're saying. I, I think what that's really important with the volunteering to your point of, you know, what what steps have you taken? It's a very unique shift in perspective when you do get involved in it and you start to understand some of the intricacies of trying to get things done. I've, I just started my own, you know, volunteering journey um, as a regional rep within our state and then doing, working on a committee there. And like, it, it's, a, it can take a lot of time. And um, in Wisconsin, we're kind of on the forefront of the third party reimbursement and just learning the intricacies of that like if it was that simple like my you know it would be done already but it is not um and then we, we had an episode with uh brian stamp who's not actually an athletic trainer but worked at an insurance company and worked with an at to get you know contracts done and it, it is a mess of things to do but then also just working on trying to figure out our licensure and trying to adjust that and the PAC fundraising that goes into it and what you need and who you need to know and support. And then the one representative we had might've been running for Lieutenant governor. And so we were going to need to find, and like, it is, it, it's never quite as simple as it seems. And that, that would be just, a, you know, kind of another plug for, you know, volunteering of the, yes, for your impact would be just to try and understand the depth and the breadth of some of these initiatives is pretty astounding um, yeah. to figure out how to how to make those things happen because it, it, especially at the state level, you know, it's those associations that are working with legislatures. Well, that needs funding and that needs to come from somewhere. And there, you know, there's uh, all kinds of different things around that. But yeah, I just wanted to no, of course, throw that in there because I thought that you had a really good point. So reminded me of, of something, you know, sometimes things move at a molasses pace uh, within <laughs> within associations, state, regional, national, um, you know, we, it, it is, it's hard to escape this paralysis by analysis is what they call it. We just keep thinking about, okay, well, what if we did it this way? Or this mm -hmm. is important. So we've really got to plan out every little aspect of it. But sometimes you just have to do it, um, you know, and it's very it true. Of, um, 
several years ago, our state-based uh, deregulation, which uh, for anybody that doesn't know, it's that somebody has decided that our license is no longer uh, needed. You know, we don't have to have licensure for the athletic trainers in Illinois. So we're just gonna deregulate the profession and, and disband the whole license board. <laughs> and that was terrifying. You know, I, I hate to, to point out, but there are some issues that are happening in say California right now with yeah. people posing as athletic trainers that in my opinion, I think if California had licensure, these these people would have never, you know, got so we know that licensure is absolutely essential. And their point was in Illinois, well, you haven't had any complaints against your license for I don't know how many years. So Good. why do you need it? But we haven't had any complaints because we've had that that safety net, that rule, that law. Yeah. You know, we haven't had any complaints because people know that they're breaking a law if they do. Um and so we, I remember that time specifically where a lot of other initiatives move very, very slowly. Um, like you said, that the legislation especially moves slowly because you have to have the right advocate in the House and the Senate and all that. But we were facing deregulation and boom, we were on it. We were, you know, we were working with uh, NATA. Uh, we had all kinds of support um, from other, other factors, other states, other uh, lawmakers, you know, people on our side. We we ramped up a PR campaign really quickly and we just squashed it. You know, it, it was essentially dead. Um, we, we fought it the right way and, and killed it before it could really get any traction. Um, but I, I'm kind of scared to think of what would happen or what would mm -hmm. have happened if that had actually gone through. Absolutely. So, um, and then in more recent years, uh, our practice act had not been updated. I want to say since the nineties. Um, but we just recently opened it up and got a bunch of uh, new language and, uh, you know, rallied our troops again and, and talked to other stakeholders and got a bunch of support from on an ATA GAC. Um, and we, I think we significantly improved the practice of athletic training in Illinois because we opened up a lot of settings. Um, we opened up a lot more interprofessional communication and collaboration um and we i mean now we all have to add lat after our names but that's fine a few more letters for a little bit more respect as a healthcare professional for sure, for sure i'll take it absolutely so yeah you know leadership in um professional associations often doesn't look like leadership um say like i was saying as a solo athletic trainer in, in the secondary setting because there is a, a group of people that will share ideas and that will communicate with each other and, and make decisions together, as opposed to the, the one athletic trainer where you've got to be the, the person. Um, things do happen a little bit more slowly, but there is still opportunity to kind of exercise or to, to strengthen that leadership muscle. Um, one of my favorite people, <laughs> one of my favorite board members to serve with, unfortunately is not on the board anymore, um, but he was there for a long, long time. Anything we came up with, um, say it was a it was a relatively good idea. Um, we wanted to start this initiative, and everybody thought, okay, it's it's seems all right. It's let's let's go with it. You know, group thing kind of took over, and we all just said, well, if somebody else thinks this is a good idea, I'll think it's a good idea too. Sure. And 
won't really bring up any questions. We'll just vote it right through committee, you know, approve it by the board and let's get it going. And this guy would always have some kind of question. Well, where's the money going to come from? Or, uh, well, what about this? But I think that's, that's one of the good ways to demonstrate leadership on a, on a board where we all have very similar goals and we all have very similar thoughts is somebody has got to be devil's advocate. Somebody has got to say, well, what if, what about, why not, you know, bring up the, the opposing side or, or talk about the complications of this thing, even if it extends the conversation a little bit, but just make somebody like whoever proposed the idea, he would, he would come back with a couple of questions and be like, well, why, why are you doing this? Or where are you mm-hmm. going to get the money to do this? And they would kind of have to prove their, prove their um, proposal, prove their point. You know, if you can back up your argument, if you can prove your point, then you have a stronger point than if you just said, well, because I want to, or because I say so. Um, so even though it made our board meetings a little bit longer and sometimes a little bit more tenuous, I, I really appreciated um how he always kind of seemed to play devil's advocate because he made us stronger in our decisions. You know, we knew we were doing, we knew we were pushing the right initiatives because we had kind of weighed out all of the downsides, all of the, the drawbacks to it because he had brought up, he had asked the tough questions. So it goes kind of back to don't, don't be afraid to disagree with people. Don't be afraid to um, make people upset or, or, you know, if you're just going to agree and say yes and, you know, be pleasant all the time, sure. But you might not necessarily get as much done if you if you ask the tough questions, if you um, are very honest in your concerns or uh, questioning about why are we doing this or what's going on. That's when you get a stronger decision. That's when you get a stronger, um, you know, someone else has to defend it. And that's when you feel a little more confident about, okay. Now that I've asked the tough questions, this is why this this leadership group is doing this thing. This is why we're pushing this initiative, and I feel good about it. I think you're really going to like Think Again by Adam Grant because it talks about <laughs> being like a scientist versus a politician or a preacher, and it, it, it hits to a lot of what you just said. So I think you're going to find yourself nodding along um, right. when you get into it. So <laughs> we've covered a lot across leadership anything else you wanted to cover there before we jump into the athletic training jack questions um no i think i think that was about it yeah sounds good (laughs) first question then is is where do you see athletic training going in the next five to ten years and if you could kind of set that example sure um well, I've been listening to a couple other episodes of your podcast, so I'm going to try not to say exactly the same thing as some other people have said, That's all good. but I will probably say something very similar. Um, I, I mean, we've seen it over over the last several years, and I think we're just going to keep going in that, that same direction, that, that traditional settings are kind of taking a bit of a backseat to um, where we're expanding into, uh, you know, and I'm, I'm really grateful for Wisconsin for being the, one of the pioneers in third-party reimbursement, um, you know, that, that initiative um, ATs in emerging settings, um, that just the, the possibilities are kind of endless and of where we can go and where we can go into, um, at the same time, I think we're kind of headed for a little bit of a reckoning 
or a little bit of a, a professional shift um, where the voices are, are loud enough about, hey, our salary kind of sucks in some places or, um, you know, work-life balance is terrible in this setting. Um, what are we going to do? Well, athletic trainers are just kind of leaving that setting. So, so we've got to have some kind of, some kind of reckoning, some kind of um, conclusion or resolution to solve this problem instead of just, well, there are no more high school athletic trainers because they all left the setting. Um, so eventually we're going to, you know, we're, we're having, we have to have some kind of tough conversations about how do we have, how do we elevate the profession? How do we um, gain that kind of respect and esteem that other healthcare professionals have so that we can keep working in whatever setting that, you know, the most challenging one that the D3 college or the, the high school athletic trainer that puts in 60 hours a week. Um, how can we make that more equitable? How can we make that a profession or an, or an area that some people still actually want to work in? Mm -hmm. um, but that it's fair and that it's not burning out athletic trainers left and right, you know? So, so yeah, there is expansion, but then there's also, we've got to realign or, or reorganize or rethink um, some of the demands of our traditional settings um, because we risk losing, <laughs> we risk losing a lot of people, unfortunately. Right, no, totally agree with you. What advice would you go back and give yourself as a young athletic trainer? And if you could set the timeline of when that would have been? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, well, it's uh, it's been a while. I've been thinking about it. Um, I first learned about athletic training uh, when I was a freshman in high school. So a little bit longer than I, I graduated, um, finished my bachelor's in 2011. And that would be my you know first year as an athletic trainer. But my my first year learning about and experiencing and being part of the athletic training culture was, I'm going to date myself, it's way back in 2003, I think. Um, so uh, it's uh, advice looking back at that person, um, maybe the high school kid or the college kid or the, the brand new grad, mm -hmm. uh, you cannot please everyone. You know, And it goes back to what I was talking about communicating and advocating um, with with other stakeholders, you cannot do or say or um, behave in a way that makes every single person happy. You're going to upset somebody, you know, if, if it's the parents and the athlete that are like, oh, man, I'm, I'm, I'm injured. I need this time off. Um, I need to go see the doctor. The coach is going to say, well, where's my star player? Why are you holding them out? So parents and athlete might be thankful that you're on their side and the coach might be, they're, they're going to be angry because you just, you know, you just cost them a couple of games. Um, or maybe it's between uh, work and home, work and family. Um, you are the person that's there before everybody else. You're the person that's there after everybody else has left, finishing cleaning up, you know, doing your last bit of documentation, but then you get home and Family's like, well, where you been? You missed so and so's uh, birthday dinner, or whatever, or or you missed somebody else's um, recital or concert, you know. So so you're not gonna be able to please everyone, no matter how hard you try. 
so you kind of have to pick and choose what you value and and the things that are most important to you and stick to them you know for me like i said it is it is the care of the athlete it's the care of the patient i don't terribly care if we make it to state every year or if we or if we lose all of our games and that's not you know that's not the end all be all for me it's are my kids healthy are they able to graduate and and go on and have fulfilling productive lives you know so you you've got to choose who you're going to please mm -hmm. i think that's very well said and a very good <laughs> perspective on that yeah. what has been the most influential resource that you have found in your career um gosh a lot of books um I know it's kind of dated, but when I was um, when I was first starting out in my state leadership position, I looked into NATA had a program called Star Tracks, and right now I think it's called Leadership Academy. Mm -hmm. It's undergone a, a significant change, um, but I really, as a as a young professional, as a young person that wanted to pursue leadership ideas, Star Tracks or or Leadership Academy was enormously helpful um now that i've gone through it you know i realize there's a lot more to learn a lot more to really practice and implement than just sitting around reading a bunch of books right. um but that was a great place to start um a part of it was you had to i mean there's there's a whole syllabus of modules with four or five books here and a couple of podcasts and a book here and then you got to go to like i had to, i went to the boc regulatory conference never would have thought to go mm -hmm. but you know because i mean we need the boc but do you really want to go sit in a conference room in omaha for a couple of days and, and learn about athletic training regulation that that didn't sound like my idea of a of a good summer vacation right but I, and i loved it and i learned so much um and had a really good steak too it's omaha <laughs> um so so that whole, all the requirements of the Star Trek program for, for me, um, you also had to prove evidence of uh, being a competent public speaker. Um, uh, it was designed for if you were a, uh, say, college professor, you mm -hmm. could show evidence of, hey, I've given 10 lectures. Boom, there it is. Or if you did not have an opportunity to give speeches or, or give talks, you had the choice of uh, going through Toastmasters, okay. which is an international public speaking organization. Um, they're, they're all over the world. Um, so I joined Toastmasters. I uh, earned their level of what they, the, the basic level of competent communicator. Um, I gave 10 speeches. I learned how to design a speech. I learned how to reach a certain audience. I learned how to use vocal inflection, use gestures, use the stage you know, move around, um, use props to communicate a message effectively to start to to support and to finish a speech um, and to convey a message to an audience. Um, and, and I don't use it a ton now. You know, I don't teach right now. I don't, um, I mean, I have given a couple of CEU talks um, and I'd like to plan one another, another one for this summer. So I'll, I'll kind of pull out and dust off some of those lessons. But just 
being comfortable putting myself out there in front of other people on a stage, um, whether it's a physical stage or, or metaphorical stage, you know, we're sitting in a, a zoom room right now. And, mm -hmm. um, I had, I spoke at a CEU session, uh, early on in the pandemic where there were 300 people listening to me nice. <laughs> and I talked for an hour in front of 300 people. I never would have been able to do that if I didn't have that, that, uh, confidence and experience that I had gained through two years of professional speaking practice. So, <clears throat> you know, even if it isn't Toastmasters, even if it isn't the Leadership Academy, it's going out and finding something, finding uh, an asset, finding an advocate that you're interested in and just doing it, just jumping in and trying it, you know? So I, I've had a lot of, a lot of good resources. It's just, pick and find something that you're curious about, ask questions, you know. I like it. The public speaking one is definitely the first time we've heard that as a resource, so appreciate that. <laughs> uh, as an AT in your role, how do you take care of yourself? Um, I've gotten a lot better at this, but leaving work at work, um, you know, reinforcing those boundaries. Um, I had a um i had a, a coach recently share my cell number in a massive group chat of parents mm -hmm. yeah and you know sometimes parent communication is, is very important if i'm going to call the parents and update the kid on an injury sure. or whatever. um but then i also had a coach share my cell number with a uh an athlete and the athlete was texting me on a sunday afternoon and okay, in certain settings, sure, you know, you, you are available for your athletes, but this is a minor and it is well outside of work hours. So I, you know, I addressed it uh, later on. I, I actually got an office phone recently, which as a solo AT in a, in a small school, that might be something you don't have for a while until you really sure. ask. So I finally got an office phone and I, I gave out that number and I said, okay, if you'd like to call or communicate with me, by all means, please do, but please don't text me at, at three o'clock on a Sunday afternoon when I'm, when I'm out for a run, um, because I do have to have some boundaries, you know, parents, uh, teachers, other administrators, other people in my sphere are allowed to have their own boundaries, right? You know, they're allowed to put down work at work and, and go home and spend mm -hmm. time with um, my, my boss travels a lot because his son plays hockey and baseball. So he's going to be gone for the weekend. And, <clears throat> you know, that's, that's just what it is. He has, he has made time for that. Um, he's rearranged his schedule so that he can have that boundary. He can have that valuable time with his family. So if other people are allowed to do it, you are allowed to do it too. You know, you do not Absolutely. on all the time. Um, and I think people will respect you a little bit more for that. You know, you're not just the person that there, there was a positive to being always available. You are very dependable. You are mm -hmm. seen as, as trustworthy. Um, but then there's also the negative of, well, she'll just do whatever we want her to do. Right. So we can just kind of walk all over her. Right. It's very hard to turn it off once it's on. Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> because you're eventually going to, you're going to burn yourself out. Um, you've got to have hobbies that have nothing to do with athletic training. Um, you know, when the pandemic started and, and, uh, I was, um, 
essentially out of work for a couple of months, I think, I picked up painting. And I have this this painting in another room of a, of a sea turtle that I'm really proud of. It took me pretty much the entire time to finish, but I would, you know, I found something that had nothing to do with athletic training so that when I lost, you know, temporarily lost athletic training for a while, I still had something to do. Sure. It was my whole identity. Um, and then to, to take care of myself, like like we talked about before, reaching out and asking for help knowing that you don't have to have all of the answers, um, that you might've had to memorize a bunch of stuff for an exam, but you can still go back and look in that book. You can still go back and, and flip open your textbook when somebody asks you a question now and say, well, I don't know, but I'm gonna go look it up, or I don't know, but I'm gonna go ask somebody. Um, I'm gonna reach out and, and say, if you have to just have a vent session, have a, you know, commiserate with somebody somebody else that's in your situation. So do what you can to get yourself off your island um, by reaching out and, and understanding that other people are in, they're feeling the same way. Believe it or not, they, they feel exactly the same way that you do sometimes. And from experience, a lot of people are more than willing and happy to talk, you know, just reaching out to people to be on the podcast. Very few would say, you know, I just, and it's not just like a flat out, no, it's, you know, busy or, you know, didn't have the interest in it, but it is definitely not a, you know, people are definitely willing to share advice. So uh, just to plug for that. If you could change or eliminate one thing, could be a modality, a common practice, excuse me, a mindset in the field of athletic training, what would it be? Oh, the idea, the phrase, that's the way it's always been done. Hate it. <laughs> That's a great answer. And I'm sure other people have said that too, but it's you know, I don't, a good reminder. Yeah, I, I don't, uh, you know, there, we are creatures of habit. People are, we, we look for things that are comfortable, that are familiar. You know, that's what makes life a little bit easier is that we know what to anticipate. We know what's coming. We know what's going to happen and, and how to behave. Um, so, so yeah, there is something to be said for continuing a tradition or for repeating something that you've done before, but when it doesn't work, when it no longer serves you, and then when it starts to make your work or your, your, uh, environment worse, or, you know, if it starts to make you miserable or something, then, then you've got to have the courage to, you know, critically examine it and, and make a change, um, just doing something because that's the way it's always been done is not a good enough reason. You know, you have to be willing to uh, look at, is this actually still benefiting my patients? Is this actually still making my life okay? Is this actually still um, advancing me and getting to me, getting me to where I want to be? And if it's not, then you've got to have the courage to say, okay, well, we got to try something different. I know you, you might have to kind of venture out into the unknown and do something. You're not sure if it's going to work or not. You're not sure if you're going to fall flat on your face and, and everybody's going to laugh at you, but you got to try because if you don't, you, you'll never know. And then your patients or your community might never benefit from something that they could have benefited from um, if you just, if you never try it. So that's the way it's always been done. Man, if I could just, <laughs> if I could just scratch that from the vocabulary. Mm -hmm. 
Final question before we wrap up. What does being an athletic trainer mean to you? Oh, I love this one. I, I try to work it into whatever I can. Um, I've had many job interviews over the years, and, and I, I feel like this is something that, that is kind of central to, to me and my why. Um, a former Surgeon General, uh, Jocelyn Elders, said once, you cannot educate a child that isn't healthy, and you cannot keep a child healthy that isn't educated. So that, that speaks a bit to, say, health and PE classes in, in secondary schools. That's why we have them. Um, because if, like I said, you can't, you can't educate a child that isn't healthy. If the kid's not there in school because they're sick, they're not going to learn. Um, and you cannot keep a child healthy that isn't educated if they don't know what to do to, to preserve their health, then they're not gonna, they're not gonna be able to do it. Um, so, so it speaks a little bit more to the role of schools in education, but I think it also speaks a bit to what I do as an athletic trainer in the secondary setting. Um, like I said before, I, I don't necessarily care if we win all the state championships. I don't care if we don't win a single game all season. Um, if I can teach kids, if I can instill kids the, in the idea that uh, they have control over their health, they can advocate for themselves, they can speak up, they can find the tools, they can use the resources to um, stay healthy, to stay active, to stay involved, um, then, then they're set up for hopefully for life, you know. Um, I see a lot of adults, um, my parents and, and relatives included, that are on uh, all kinds of medications to manage chronic conditions. Um, that that if, and I'm not saying that this solves everything, but mm -hmm. there are some conditions nowadays that if they had adopted a healthy lifestyle or or um, you know set certain habits when they were young and, and lived those habits throughout their lives, they wouldn't have to pay for some of these things. They wouldn't have right. to have the expense of, of um, you know, repetitive doctor visits or, or, you know, a whole load of prescriptions every morning with their breakfast or whatever. So I want to, I'm here to instill in kids to catch them when they're young. You know, that's why I love secondary setting is the kids are still learning that they can be healthy throughout their lives. They can, they have the power to do it. They have, it's going to take some work. It's going to take some personal responsibility, but they have the power to to lead a long, long, happy life if they are willing to pay attention to uh, taking care of their own health. Um, so it's not about like taping ankles and winning games and designing the perfect rehab program or whatever. That's not necessarily what being an athletic trainer means to me. It's it's how can I keep everyone healthy? How can I set them all on the best path for the rest of their lives? I like it. First time somebody's used a quote, so I enjoy that. I would be like, get that in there. <laughs> well, look, uh, you I'm full of quotes. I'm yeah, full no, of that's quotes. perfect. Yeah. As we wrap up, anything else that you'd like to share before you share where if you want to follow you or connect with you, what the best option would be? Yeah, yeah. Actually, um, 
we connected via Twitter and um, I know people put all kinds of different stuff in their Twitter bios. Um, and a lot of times nobody really pays attention to it. So I thought I'd kind of plug a little bit of what mine is right now. The first line is lead with compassion. And it might be kind of morbid, but I, I was thinking about it many years ago. What's the last thing you want to say? Uh, say if you're you're in a hospital bed dying somewhere. What is the last thing you want to say? What is the last thing you want people to know you for? What do you want to be uh, remembered for? Um, and, and you can say all different kinds of things. Um, but I think what I settled on after I thought about it for a long time was lead with compassion. Um, and, and it, I, you know, I could break it down a million different ways to, to lead, to not just blindly follow along with other people, not just say yes, and not just be a part of the crowd, to not just agree with things because someone else says it's true or someone else, um, you know, to just go along with that's the way it's always been done. You've got to speak up for what is right. You've got to speak up for what you believe in. Um, you know, if, if you see something going on, if you see some kind of injustice and you can fix it, say something. Don't just complain about something, but step up and, and take even a small action to to make some kind of change. Don't just kind of sit there and you know, let it go by and just complain about it. Um, and, and to be brave even when no, one, when no one else is, you know, to say, I'm going to put myself out here because this is what I believe in, because I think I can, I can help or I can improve this situation. You know, you could just let something go by and, eh, well, that's how the world is. But no, you, you can, you have the power, you have the ability to, to speak up and to lead. Um, and then the compassion part, you know, everyone's got some kind of shit that goes on. So everyone's got some kind of something that they're struggling with. Um, and, and so when you're faced with something or someone that you don't agree with, or you're faced with someone that, that angers you or says something that, man, I can't believe they said that, or, or why do they have to be like this? There's such a, mm -hmm. you know, you, you, your initial reaction is to be angry or to be upset. Um, I found it helps to, to just pause and think, okay, they must, you know, everyone's got something going on. Everyone's got some reason for why they are or what the, you know, why they do the things they do. So, I'm going to give them a little compassion and I'm going to try and understand why they're saying this thing or doing this thing that's making me angry or making me frustrated because there's got to be a reason. And if I can understand the reason, then I can understand, you know, their why, and then I can start to kind of approach it and, and improve the situation for both of us. So, so lead with compassion, but then lead as in start with, um, if, if there's something, a situation you don't under, don't understand, or, or something that you want to complain about, instead of starting with anger or starting with um, a complaining tone, starting with patience and, and starting with um, the goal of listening and understanding. Um, I think that helps to diffuse a lot of situations, helps to um, make conversations and communication more productive instead of just, I'm pushing my agenda and this is, yeah, I believe in it, but I want to, I'm, I'm, the goal is to communicate with the ultimate idea of getting everyone on board. So instead of just, just barreling ahead and saying, well, I'm going to push my agenda. I'm going to say what I believe. 
you you kind of have to take into account okay where is my audience coming from um what what are they dealing with right now um who am i talking to and what are their goals and now how can i frame my request or how can i frame my agenda in a in a way that helps meet their goals as well so <laughs> i think that that kind of encapsulates a lot of a lot of what i do and why i do it um just lead with compassion i like it and if people wanted to check that out on twitter your handle at atc andrea perfect um, we'll have that linked up so everybody can find it i uh not i'm i apologize i'm not on many other <laughs> social media channels i'm a little too busy with, with some of my um professional responsibilities but uh uh you can find me on facebook under my name but i don't post a lot of professional stuff that's more the personal side sure. uh, my email is on our state website so i might as well put it here too uh andrea kowalski 11 at gmail.com um, if you'd like to reach out to me um if you want to check out one of the projects i've been working on and refining over the years the the illinois athletic trainers association website um i've kind of uh passed on our PR responsibilities, uh, our social media channels to our PR chairperson, but, um, you know, follow anything Illinois Athletic Trainers, uh, yeah, at I-L-A-T-H Trainers on Instagram, Twitter, um, you can search us on Facebook. Um, so, and I post a little stuff there, not under my own name, of course, but under the association. Right, right. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for taking the time. I'm really glad we got to connect on this and looking forward to seeing where things go in the future. And I'm sure doing a follow-up a follow up episode at some point. Yeah. Yeah. I would love to. Thanks again for having me. It's been a lot of fun. Awesome. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this episode of Athletic Training Chat. This was our episode with Andrea Kowalski, Lead with Compassion and Leadership as a Solo AT. Our guest, Andrea Kowalski, is always leading with compassion, and my your host, Joel, always learning more about leadership. This was a really great conversation, and really hope that it provided something back to everybody that was listening, uh, hopefully some stuff that you can apply in your everyday. And we are powered by Mueller Sports Medicine. Very few people can claim that they back up the athletic training profession like Mueller does with where it started, how it grew, their focus on getting athletic trainers what they need to do the job that they need to do Mueller second to none when it comes to that their new revive pneumatic compression affordable effective backed by science check it out could be something that you could hopefully make work into your budget if that's something that is always a little tight but with that we look forward to seeing you next episode and thank you again for listening